Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has four years of law enforcement analysis experience. She spent time in Colorado, Florida, and Virginia. She's here to talk about OSINT and cybercrime, and we're going to be talking to her about her job search strategy in 2024. Please welcome Heather Fairburn. Heather, how are we doing? I am doing great, Jason. How are you? I am doing very well. How is Virginia? It is good. Very cold, but it's great. I was hoping we were going to have some snow, but alas, we have not yet. Maybe oh. maybe in 2024 we'll have some snow. I don't know. Yeah, I've been talking to family in Pennsylvania and Ohio, and they said it's basically been fall for the last couple of months there. I so. Yeah, it's been very rainy so far, so I was hoping, I was hoping to be snow, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> So we got a couple of things going on with, today with this episode. I'm looking forward to hearing your perspective as you've been an analyst at three different states. And for the listeners, just some housekeeping. We are going to have a shit you here in the office call-in segment. So get your calls in now if you have a crazy office story. All right, Heather, how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? Yeah, so during my internship, I was attending the University of Colorado, and during my internship, I was able to work at a local police department there. I was searching for different types of job, more of behind-the-scenes type jobs, and I happened to stumble upon the International Association of Crime Analysts, ICA, mm -hmm. and I had signed up for my first course, and right after I graduated, I kind of decided after my class that I took, I did the fundamentals of crime analysis. I decided that that is exactly what I'd like to do. So I started applying for different types of jobs in the crime analysis world after graduation. So how did you discover the IACA then in, in college? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I had to take two years of statistics, criminal justice mm -hmm. statistics, and then regular statistics. And my very first semester, I remember arguing with one of my professors that as a criminal justice student, I do not need to take two years of statistics. <laughs> and <laughs> now it's funny, right? It's ironic. <laughs> and I remember talking to her and she told me there are a variety of jobs, including you could be an analyst, you could be an officer, you're always going to need to use statistics. Mm -hmm. And um, by my second year, actually, I ended up tutoring kids that were going through <laughs> the first year of statistics. And I just, to this day, I'll never forget. So I actually ended up hearing about it from my professor who was mentioning why, why statistics was important to me. And again, now it's just ironic <laughs> mm -hmm. that my uh, career revolves around statistics. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you go into college thinking you were going to get a criminal justice degree and then become a sworn officer? So actually, when I started off in criminal justice, I did a program when I went to high school in Georgia. Mm -hmm. My father had retired there from the military service. And he had went into public service after his retirement, and I got a little bit of scope into that life, and I decided 
I would like to do something as well in public service, not necessarily being an officer. I thought maybe one day I'd like to be an agent of some sort mm. or possibly military as well. But I ended up taking some intro classes into forensics as well my senior year. And so from that age on, I knew that I wanted to do something in the criminal justice world. I just wasn't sure which direction I wanted to take. And then the very first college I ever attended was a small agricultural school in South Georgia. I actually took some pre-law classes and quickly found out that that was not my direction. <laughs> that was not my path. It's too much terminology. I didn't have the patience for it at the time. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I see that you had an internship with the Gold Hill Police Division, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and working with vehicle theft investigations. So what, what did you learn in that internship? So during my internship, it's actually the Colorado Springs Police Department, but they have different divisions. So mm. it was the Falcon Police Division and the Gold Hill Police Division. Um, during the vehicle theft investigations, I realized how simple it was to actually steal a car in Colorado. <laughs> um, whether that was the older model Subarus or Hondas, or people who were trying to start their cars first thing in the morning. In Colorado, they actually have a puff. It's called no puffing law. People will start their cars first thing in the morning so it warms up for them and the ice mm -hmm. kind of goes away mm -hmm. on the windshield. There were a lot of people that had their cars stolen during the winter. I got to go out on some scenes with people that were calling in that their cars were stolen and maybe a car was recovered a few blocks over. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. <laughs> I It was very apparent it was a teenager that had done it when an officer and I had showed up on the scene. The teenager was basically running down the highway and we noticed a Jeep with the lights on crashed in the middle of someone's front yard <laughs> and it matched the description <laughs> of the car that had gotten called in. So um, yeah. learned a lot during that time <laughs> of yeah. do not start your car and leave your car to warm up. <laughs> it yeah. will get stolen. Oh, man. So so most of the time it was just like a joyriding situation as opposed to stealing the car to then sell it or to scrap it for money. During, I think during my time, yes. Mm -hmm. I also remember going out to a scene at a gas station. An individual left their car running at the gas station, went into the store, and their car was stolen. So mm -hmm. I definitely think it was crime of opportunity that a car is willingly available for them to take and go somewhere. I don't think it was really scrapping cars at the time. I think it was just crime of opportunity since people left their cars running all the time. <laughs> so then I see that you volunteered there with the same department just doing property investigation. Yes. So actually, the city of Colorado Springs has a wonderful program. It's um, Community Advanced Public Safety, CAPS. They have a mm -hmm. wonderful program. I've recommended it to lots of people, especially if you're in that area and you're not sure if you if you're in school or you're not sure if you want to join into the law enforcement world. You can sign up to be a volunteer. You do have to go through a background, fingerprints, and a polygraph. But mm -hmm. once you are on board, they have different positions for you. And so after my internship, they had offered me a position with the same police division that I had been in. And I got to work with the property crimes, which was my first introduction really into law enforcement and working with detectives. Mm -hmm. And it has hands down been one of the best experiences I've ever had. So when I was there... I was able to go out with them on scenes. They would serve search warrants once the scene was safe. I was able to go in with them 
and help collect evidence, which was amazing. So that was really just my first introduction into law enforcement overall. So the program is wonderful. Again, if you're living in the Colorado Springs area or your city needs volunteer positions like that, definitely look into it and see if they have something for you. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a volunteer position, but you mentioned polygraph. That's pretty serious for a volunteer (laughs) position. It is. I'm not quite sure if that was a part of the experience, if you will, of my internship going into staying on as a volunteer or not, but they definitely take things seriously when it comes to (laughs) being able to investigate and help with those types of crimes. Yeah. Now, was it just the basic questions in terms of the polygraph or what do you remember from it? Because I've I've taken a couple of polygraphs in my life and it's like, first of it is like, have you ever tried to overthrow the government? And then it <laughs> then it gets into maybe like some of the personal criminal stuff. And then have you ever lied to your boss or whatever it is It can get on from more personal things from there? So what do you remember about it? It is the same polygraph that I've had for a different organization I worked for. So mm-hmm. I would say it was pretty typical, pretty mm-hmm. typical polygraph when I had to do it. It was my first experience. Of course, I was extremely nervous, right? Everyone's <laughs> very nervous. I had to fill out a packet and everything like you usually do. Um, but it was a great exposure because after I got to do that polygraph from then on out, any other polygraph I have taken, I knew what to expect. So I wasn't sure. as much of a nervous wreck. Still nervous, but I, I would say it was a a normal polygraph. All right. No, but that is a great opportunity because with everybody trying to get in, especially when you're new, trying to get into the field, internships are great. You talk about volunteering and just Mm -hmm. being in the office and people seeing you uh, get along with other people. You're the type of product that you're producing. Are you reliable? And then they see that and they become just your biggest fan and being able to then talk to speak for you basically whether that's within the department there that you're in or when you go to your next department that you you have somebody that Mm -hmm. can be a great reference for you absolutely not only that but i knew that i was going to be moving right after graduation and so Mm -hmm. i was able to leverage my internship into may do you have an opportunity for me yes we have this whole Mm -hmm. volunteer program that's amazing. I was able to stay on and volunteer because of my current situation when I knew I was going to be moving soon. It was great for me to be able to add that to my experience as well, because Mm -hmm. I was getting so much exposure to everyday things that they were doing in the property investigations, auto thefts, um, doing surveillance operations and things like that. I got to see all of that. If I would have just decided, oh, I'm graduating, I'll wait around until I move again. I was you miss that. You miss those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I wanted to see if I could stay on as long as possible (laughs) Mm -hmm. before my departure. And I'm glad I did because it, again, gave me the greatest exposure and I knew that this field was for me. So then how do you go from Colorado making your way to Florida and the Northwest Florida Fusion Center? So I'm originally from Florida. I'm originally from the Pensacola area. If anyone is familiar with that, it's the panhandle of Florida. Everyone knows what the shape looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm originally from Florida, but my spouse at the time, we moved around a lot. I was a military spouse for nine years, so we moved very often. So after we left Colorado, we knew that we were moving back towards the panhandle area of that Florida-Alabama line. And so 
that's actually when I started my first job search was when I graduated college, I knew that we were relocating to that area. I was still doing my volunteerism with the city and I had started looking for different opportunities in the area and I was excited because since it's with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, I had heard so much about FDLE, so many wonderful things about FDLE and I saw they had an opening in the Northwest Florida Fusion Center. Of course, at the time, I had no idea what a fusion center was. <laughs> I just knew that it was an analyst position and that I really wanted it. I really wanted mm -hmm. to be there. I knew that Pensacola is where I have been born and raised the majority of my life. I've spent the most time there in my adult life as well. And I have always had a sense of purpose of serving the community in which I live in. Mm -hmm. I've always been that way. And so I was very excited for it. And actually, when I was going through interview and backgrounds and taking exams to get in to, for an interview, actually, I was in the middle of moving. So one day I took a phone interview in Kansas. The next day I was in North Alabama trying to take an exam and then during our moves. So, but yeah, oh, so man. that's how I kind of traveled, traveled over there. <laughs> All right. So then with the, the fusion center, you, you're, it sounds like you went in pretty cold in terms of not even knowing what a fusion center was. What were your tasks? What did you learn? I learned so much. And I, to this day, that is still one of my favorite jobs I've ever had was working in the fusion center. So if anyone's unfamiliar, Florida is a very large-ish state, I would say. And you have the Florida Fusion Center, which is housed in Tallahassee, Florida. And that is basically, I call it the mothership. And within the big mothership or big umbrella, you have several different little fusion centers that sit underneath it. And the Northwest Florida Fusion Center sits underneath it. It is, Pensacola is one of the furthest west places you can go in Florida. And so mm -hmm. obviously it's a very important area to have a fusion center. And so when I was there, I did all kinds of things. I was responsible for 10 different counties in our area. Most of them were rural areas, but mm -hmm. towards the Emerald Coast, if anyone's familiar with the beach side, it has gained a lot of popularity in the last few years. I remember going to the beach as a kid and it was not that busy and there weren't as many condos, but now it is one of the number one tourist destinations is to come down to Death Center, Panama City. I know a lot of people know Panama City because of spring break <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and what used to be with MTV. <laughs> but yes, so I was responsible for those areas. Any type of bulletin that would come in, I really started learning how to really network and connect with local analysts and basic overall duties of a fusion center to kind of help connect and disseminate information. Basically, you're like, I wouldn't say a clearinghouse, but you want your local jurisdictions to send that information to you. And so if I noticed that a county close to Leon County in Tallahassee had an incident occur that sounded very similar to maybe an incident that happened in one of my 10 counties, I would send that information over to the analysts or to the officers in that area to let them know, hey, we're seeing an uptick in this. In the Panhandle of Florida, I-10 is a very popular interstate. It runs all the way from Florida to California. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. <laughs> A lot of crimes would come over. They would come mm -hmm. over from Jacksonville and just hit all the way down I-10, all the way through the panhandle and continue on into Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas. So mm -hmm. a lot of the times I was responsible for helping connect those crimes, lots of spreadsheets on <laughs> which crimes I'm seeing here in this county. This matches the crimes that are happening next door. On top of that, 
I was helping out with different requests, maybe from local jurisdictions, if they needed help with mapping, I got to do some of my first mapping with a um, ankle monitor. There was a young lady that went missing actually right before a hurricane came in, and I was responsible for creating a map to see if a well-known sex offender that had an ankle monitor at the time was anywhere near the vicinity of the last place that she was found. Unfortunately, our results were inconclusive, but so she's still missing. Also, we had our quarterly intelligence meetings. This is the first time ever that I have stood in front of three-letter agencies and mm -hmm. other local partners and had to really do a lot of public speaking. Mm -hmm. um, before in high school, going into college, I did musical theater for a number of years. Oh. Yeah, I love I love singing and performing. It's it's been quite a while now, but I really had to channel my inner <laughs> my inner stage stage person to be able to lead these meetings that I used to be super nervous for, but I've learned to turn that nervousness into excitement. So yeah, I would yeah. think it's a little bit different though, right? If, as you're performing on stage there and you're practicing and you're getting your steps, your words, your actions all down, there's that level of performing, but then you're presenting in front of folks that can basically interrupt you at any time with a question. <laughs> and yeah. It's, it, I would, it seems like you, if you're good at one, you should be good at the other, but I'm guessing that, that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, well, I, so, so some, some tips out there. I always made sure I had an agenda printed. I knew what my talking points were. I had my PowerPoint printed. I was ready. I always practiced the day before if, if it was in our building, I would mm -hmm. always practice in our building first. I knew everything was. If I was working with any other teammates, we made sure we had our, our different slides down. And I did leave room for questions. And the biggest thing I've learned, if you don't know the answer to something, it's okay. Don't make something up. I normally just <laughs> tell them at this time, I actually do not have that information, but I'll make sure I get that information to you. So yeah, that's good too. I've definitely learned that. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, it is kind of the same in that practice of eventually you get it down, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now. I see that you you have this position about six six or seven months. Did 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 you feel like you were an analyst at this point? Because you're before you were volunteering and you're doing a lot of analytical work. But when you're at the fusion center here at this point in your career, do you feel that you're that you're an analyst that you've learned every learned how to be an analyst? Well, so I, I did actually stay on. I ended up working this same Fusion Center analyst position while working when I got promoted to strategic intelligence mm, in the okay. same division. I worked okay. them both simultaneously at the time. But the one good thing I will say, if you're a young analyst and you're looking for, especially if you live in Florida, FDLE has programs where they will send you to different levels of gaining your certification as an analyst, being Florida certified. And so at this point, I had been to two different trainings. Oh, gracious, I can't remember the names off the top of my head. I know one's FCAP, but they're taught by some wonderful, excellent, very knowledgeable people at the FDLE in Tallahassee at headquarters. Mm -hmm. And they give you a lot of proper training on how things work, or maybe you had training in a spreadsheet in college, but let's look at spreadsheets and why they're important to analysis and the different types of analysis that would use a spreadsheet. So that was my first introduction to being able to make sure we are 
keeping up with the series. Okay, how many series have I seen here? Have I seen the same, has the same target had the same robbery and the same type? And are you tracking that on a spreadsheet? So mm. I was able to learn all these things going to the trainings that were provided by the agency for the state. Okay, so the promotion though, was that a promotion out of the fusion center? So you were no longer working at the fusion center eventually? So I had different responsibilities. Technically, my mm-hmm. cubicle was still in the same area. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I was I was helping the next person that came in on the different mm-hmm. tasks and stuff that we were d- assigned to, or if we had a request come in the inbox and they needed some guidance on what we usually do, I was still helping them with that information. But my responsibilities just changed a little bit more towards the strategic side for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I still kind of worked in the fusion center aspect, (laughs) Mm. Um, especially if there were cases that I was working with an agent on um, or writing products. Writing products was very big for our fusion center, and I still was able to continue to do some of those duties, which I really loved. I was able to have exposure to both (laughs) at Mm. the same time. And I just think overall that that was that was wonderful. I loved it. Good. And then is this, I guess your your title here is strategic intelligence analyst, but then mm-hmm. the description looks like it's more tactical. Yes. At the time, collected data for five years, 10 years at the time, there was no data collected like that for that position at the time. And now that I've progressed in my career, I also have realized that, <laughs> that technically it is more of a tactical intelligence analyst and not necessarily strategic. Now it might be completely different from when the data that I was doing. But mostly some of my responsibilities included running our internal review meetings. And so we would gather together and talk about different types of crimes that we were seeing in different jurisdictions, or maybe an agent was handling five cases of this, six cases of that. Specifically, there were a lot of puppy scams at the time that I worked there. It's very unfortunate, but I was kind of helping identify if I had seen any more puppy scams from our local jurisdictions or maybe local states that were coming through the Fusion Center that I could see. So maybe Alabama had a few, Georgia, our local surrounding states. I was able to see if we were all seeing the same thing. So what was the particular (laughs) scam? What was the particular scam? So there was a person that was pretending to be a local breeder near the Panama City area and Essentially, they were using an address and saying, oh, hey, we have these type of puppies for sale. Please contact us. Individuals would contact them. They were told you need to put a down deposit for this puppy. They would put a down down deposit. They were sent pictures of the puppy that they were looking into, which I thought was interesting. And then basically they were exchanging and, oh, okay, well, now we're getting, we have to, we're going to send them on an airplane to you. However, you need to buy a new carrier. It has to be a specific carrier. What I noticed is, is that during the pandemic, as the pandemic had started, that started transitioning to, instead of needing a regular pet carrier you had to pay for, it needed to be a special pet carrier that had to be sanitized a certain way due to COVID-19. And so I just thought that was interesting. And (laughs) Basically, these people were, okay, that sounds great. How much is it? So some of them were sending money orders or checks or Venmo or PayPal, thousands and thousands of dollars to have these puppies. And once the receiver had received the money that they were wanting and there was no puppy being produced or sent to this individual's home, they would stop all communication. Uh, Magically, the website that they were utilizing no longer existed. Imagine that. Mm. And the scam would start all over again. 
under a different name, different type of puppies. <laughs> and I always felt so bad for the individuals because they really just wanted a dog at the end of it. <laughs> and that was never going to happen. Yeah. Now, did you, were these folks ever caught? Not when I was there. No, I know it's such a bummer tracking IP addresses as well. I thought maybe we'd get something, but it was always a dead end when I was there. That is a a bummer. So, all right. So let's uh, make our way up because now you're making your way up north. You're you're in, let's let's, uh, get moving again. And you have a police intelligence analyst position at Chesterfield County Police Department. Yes. Yep. I, I made my way to Virginia. <laughs> All right. So now, again, you're moving because you're then husband, right? That brings you to Virginia. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so then, so just, I guess, tell me a little bit about this job then and like just uh, what was being asked of you, what were your tasks? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a police intelligence analyst at Chesterfield County Police Department. Overall, again, what an amazing experience. Um, I had been assigned the Special Victims Unit, also known as the Vulnerable Populations Unit. Um, actually, before I got this position, I had already taken some courses with IACA on um, criminal investigative analysis and learning about serial patterns, serial crime, behavior of individuals, learning what progression is, how to determine if someone maybe had a trial run of something and moving forward. Um, all of that was very beneficial for this position that I held. So a lot of what I did is I helped support one of our detectives that was our Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force Officer, which usually came down from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, also known as NCMEC, has cyber tips that get reported to them through electronic service providers or ESPs. And those will be looked at from NCMEC and sent on to the proper um, authorities within that location. And so I would be told, we have this individual, here's the cyber tip, here is their username, what can we get from this information? And so a lot of my responsibilities were to figure out who this individual is. Luckily, when you have usernames, there are some things that you can do. Um, Sometimes there would be a name associated, maybe that individual ended up using their own personal Google account or their own phone number Mm. (laughs) associated with their account. And so that gives you a little more information to pull from. Um, I did a lot of that. Sometimes we ran um, different types of operations depending on what was going on at the time. I also, again, anything that was related with special victims, if we had anybody that had any sexual assault cases, maybe they were assaulted somewhere, maybe they were exposed to domestic violence and assaulted in that manner. Really, there were also a lot of the typical scams that everyone sees. The Snapchat sextortion scams are very popular still. Some of those I would also kind of look into. And really just anything that they needed on the spot. If I had a phone call that said, hey, I have this individual, all I know is a first name. And Mm -hmm. I would always tell them, that's fine. That's fine. I will see what I can get for you. Just give me anything and everything. You may not think the information or small details are important, but if your victim told you descriptors or told you they had a certain tattoo, that's fine. We can find it. (laughs) So yeah. And really anything we did some, we did a lot of tactical briefings as well for our senior state quarters. And so any type of methods or trends that we were seeing coming in and out of the County, or if there were any credible threats. So also what I did is I built us a tweet deck at the time 
I'm sorry, now it's called X, not Twitter. I still I had help. <laughs> I know I do it all the time. I'm like, what is X again? But I had built some tweet decks for us as well, depending on I actually learned that when I was at the Fusion Center to do um, threat monitoring through social media. So anything um, you can search by geocode locations or certain hashtags, locations. So if we knew that there was something that we're suspecting coming up, you can actually put it into a little area for the tweets and see what's coming up for that. So that was like a really nice way to do that too. So, so that, yeah, would that, would notify, <laughs> that would notify you based on your criteria. You talked about location, mm -hmm. maybe certain keywords. That mm -hmm. would notify you of certain chatter that you were wanting to see. Yes, and that can also be really useful, not only for threat monitoring or detection, but also everyone knows rumors go around. And it's also a great way to see what the chatter is, right? What is What are these people saying? Is it an angry parent at the PTA that's planning a protest at the next meeting? Is that important for us to know about? Is it, oh, there's a reported shooting that happened at graduation. Well, is that factual? Did that really happen? As we are currently listening to calls coming in. So it's great for threat detection, but also on the counter end of, is this information true? Hmm. I don't know how much you dealt with you know, the more violent crime at the Fusion Center, but here you're getting into some real it's, it's special victims. This is this mm -hmm. is beyond people getting scammed for puppies or getting their cars <laughs> stolen yeah. or type of type of thing. Like this is a this is a different level of analysis, right? Working these yeah. cases, reading this. These types of case reports, this is this gets really heavy really quickly going mm -hmm. through the details and knowing what kind of violence was put on on these victims. So I guess how, I guess how did you take that or how did how did that impact you as a person? So when I was with the Fusion Center, I was able to I was I worked very close with our cyber agent at the time, um, mm -hmm. very knowledgeable. She had one of the first electronic sniffing canine dogs for the state. Um, mm -hmm. I did her statistics. <laughs> I did the dog stats. She was always 99.9 percent. .9%, very smart dog. I, I was able to get a little bit exposure to that in terms of writing products, intelligence products to go out. In particular, they had served a search warrant one time and the dog kept alerting to the person. And lo and behold, the individual had a paracord bracelet on. And when he was asked to take the bracelet off, it actually had a USB drive on the end of it, which is where a lot of the child sexual abuse materialism was, mm. had a lot of that on it. So I worked in the sense of making sure that we were keeping others in the know, right, with our connections at the Fusion Center, making sure we're disseminating the intelligence products. And I wrote a product on that to help help other people know, hey, if you're having this, it may be on the person themselves. Maybe they're wearing this bracelet. Um, you can buy them on Amazon for $12 at the time. Mm -hmm. That was as far as my exposure to that, mostly reading the crimes. But yes, this was definitely more <laughs> hands-on. Very early on in college, I had to take a child abuse and neglect course. Mm -hmm. And the very first case that my professor ever opened with was very heartbreaking for me to see pictures of, see the crime scene photos, have him talk about it, have him talk about his experience. And I thought to myself, I can't do this. There's no way. Mm -hmm. I don't know how people sleep at night. And it wasn't until I had spoken to um, someone and they told me, don't let the sadness 
take control, let the anger take over. Mm. Let the anger take over of not being sad for the victims, but being angry at the people that did this to them and find those people. And mm. for me, <laughs> I that has stuck with me to this day. I've always thought, you're right. I, I You can be sad for the victims, but also my part is to help find this individual, to help locate this individual so that justice is served. And so really it was kind of flipping the idea into, okay, what am I getting out of this? This is a very horrible situation, but how can we find, I shouldn't say the positive side, but how can we find a different way to make our brains be able to deal with this information? And so ever since then, I thought, you're right. That's, you're right. I'm going to use this anger and need that is upset with how someone could be treated this way and some of these horrible crimes, but how can we find this individual? And so I kind of use that little fire inside of me to say, all right, here we go. You know, I'm, this is obviously horrible what has happened to this individual, but I need to know all the information going on, including there could be certain details that may be uncomfortable, but once you know those details and you understand the behavior of the suspect, all of that can help you identify someone from that. And so again, using those skills from the courses I took with IACA, and my prior brief exposure in the Fusion Center, I was able to kind of connect all of that together to say, great, now I'm able to look at patterns once we kind of look through how horrible something is. Let's look at the meat of it. And that is, again, using the anger to identify these individuals doing this to people. Uh, this is Erin Wickersham from the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, and my public service announcement is to go on a court along. Uh, you may have been on a ride along, and I think someone else recommended a 911 operator sit along. So find a prosecutor in your jurisdiction and see if you can go to court with them. You'll learn a lot about the process and about the work that they're doing. Hi there, I'm Amanda Bruner, president of the Carolinas Crime Analysis Association and I'm thrilled to invite you to our upcoming training conference in the historically rich city of Charleston, South Carolina. Join us from February 27th through March 1st for an immersive experience aimed at honing the skills of crime and intelligence analysts in both the public and private sectors. With over 125 attendees expected, it's a prime opportunity to learn and network with other professionals. We are proud to announce that Dr. Rachel Santos, author of Crime Analysis with Crime Mapping, will be our keynote speaker. Plus, don't miss masterclasses hosted by renowned experts like Dr. Eric Pisa, Charlie Giberti, and NW3C. But that's not all. We have a student poster session, proctored IACA exams, and more. And guess what? Your registration includes two full conference days plus the masterclasses. And it's not just about learning. It's about creating lasting memories. So enjoy lunch on us, indulge at our ice cream social, and join in our networking events, including ghost tours. Registration is a steal at $225 for members and $275 for non-members. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Join us for a conference that combines professional development with a touch of Southern charm. I look forward to seeing you all in Charleston. Register today at carolinascrimeanalysis.org. That's carolinascrimeanalysis.org. All right, so th this is a good time to bring in your analyst badge story. And for those that may be new to the show, the analyst badge story is a career-defining case or project that you, the analyst, worked. And so we're in 2023 here, and you're dealing with an indecent exposure case. Yeah, 
Yeah. Any, I will say overall each, (laughs) this is a very hard question. (laughs) (laughs) Overall, any case that I've ever helped on, I've always been very passionate about making sure that we had somebody identified or we were able to get some sort of information to get justice for these victims. And I would say my badge stories maybe not as as deep as as that, but it does involve crimes. And I think probably the coolest thing or one of the things that really made me realize like this is the field that I love is I had started tracking some of our indecent exposures in our area or surrounding jurisdictions um, on lovely spreadsheets. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had all the details. Maybe they weren't Um, Sometimes the suspect was caught, but for a while Mm. there was an individual that just could not seem to be found. And incidents started occurring in the county I was working in, in the county next door, in the county north of us. And I thought, this must be the same person. The descriptions seem very similar. When people would send flyers out, I was collecting the flyers and looking at, okay, yeah, this looks like the same individual. Eventually, after consulting with one of my counterparts, we were kind of talking about it. And we were talking about, in terms of escalation, how people must have had trial runs before you get to the very end. And that this is not their first time doing that. Mm-hmm. They don't just wake up one day and decide to expose themselves in front of people. They've had trial runs. And so long story short, I was working on a live call and I was listening to our active calls that were coming in. And there was an active call that came in and decent exposure, same location that this individual had been to two weeks prior at the same time and same day, which makes things very easy for us analysts. And (laughs) I knew that this had to be the person I was looking for. This has to be this person. Again, I had a whole spreadsheet and everything, and lo and behold, they were actually able to pull over the individual and get to interview them. I was able to look at body cam footage, and I knew that this was this person. This person has done this to several people, and what might have started off as, again, trial runs, what can I get away with, turned into exposing themselves and also assaulting an individual which again is very common for people who are escalating. And I was so excited. We were able to identify the person. I was so excited because of the spreadsheet that I had been keeping. I was able to meet with the detective and we discussed, look at this, look at all these incidences, look at how this person, this has to be the same person. We had camera footage from different stores. We had spoken to some of the people that were working there, employers, did you see this person? What happened? And with all of that information, we were able to identify the person and the person was charged with over seven plus indecent exposure crimes because of keeping track of everything, keeping track of the things that you see that are happening, not only in your county, but other counties. And so we were able to also help other counties close out cases because it was the same person. Mm-hmm. And so for me, <laughs> I just felt super passionate because I was like, yes, this is, this is the exciting part that analysts love. We love when we're able to help close out cases, but also I knew that it was this person. And I like to think if I didn't keep the spreadsheet, would I have known if I wasn't paying attention, if I wasn't tracking these types of crimes that were happening in our area, would that person have ever been charged with these other crimes? Um and obviously, as a lot of people know, once you have multiples of the same crime, sometimes it could go into a different category. And then we had to start looking at, were any children exposed to this type of crime? And so overall, for me, that just 
besides working Internet Crimes Against Children, that to me was a very defining moment for me or the badge story of this is why I want to do this, because we were able to help out several victims that were exposed to the same individual during this time. Yeah. So was, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So was any of the crimes misclassified then when you went through and started looking at potentially that it was might not necessarily indecent exposure? Yeah, actually, some of them maybe came in as suspicious, mm-hmm. suspicious incident. And I uh, every morning when I would get to my desk, I would read all of the cases from the night before or Monday mm-hmm. mornings when the weekend had passed. If I wasn't on call, I was reading all every single report that came in throughout the weekend and every day, and I would make a note of it. So I noticed some of them were coming in as suspicious incident. And sometimes that could be, there was a weird car parked at the end of my driveway and someone made a phone call about it. <laughs> and once you get op- you open those and you realize what that's what it is, it's like, oh, okay, you move on. But again, to me, I'm like, every little detail is important. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of them came in as suspicious or, um, I'm trying to remember the other category. Most of them were suspicious that just came in. So, and that doesn't mean indecent exposure, right? So (laughs) suspicious could be anything that you find weird that is not indecent exposure. Yeah. Hmm. So a lot of the times they actually didn't even come in as as indecent exposure calls. They were just um, maybe a disturbance call or suspicious. Hmm. But you mentioned listening to live calls that came in, 911 Hmm. calls. So is that something that you're at your desk and could be able to do, or did you have to go down to the the 911 center to do that? Uh, so I wasn't listening to live calls that were being called in, but I was listening to our radio traffic that was coming in. That oh, was okay, I that see. Our department had implemented, and I'm so mm-hmm. thankful they did, because we were, as analysts, we were able to listen to those calls and see if we could assist, or again, in this case, it greatly helped me because I knew exactly what was happening and I was able to communicate on the radio and also with my detective. Hey, this is the individual that I think that they have. They're at this location at this time right now. Currently, they're on an active call. And that has hands down been one of the best experiences because I'm able to help promote active intelligence to help close case. And so that, that's what I meant when I said active my, calls, they were, they were calls coming in from dispatch that were going out to officers and we were able to listen to the radio and see what mm-hmm. the communication was. So another example of that is there was an individual that I was trying to help locate for a detective for a sex assault and that individual had been pulled over. Mm-hmm. And I happened to hear the traffic communication of, does this person have a warrant out for them? Like it's coming back, but we're just questioning it. And I had remembered the name and I went sprinting downstairs (laughs) to my detective. And I was like, I think they have the individual we've been looking for um, because this person had traveled a lot and we didn't know if they were coming back or what was happening. Um, And luckily the detective was able to go out on the scene and get what she needed from that individual. And so that was phenomenal because we were able to close out another case. (laughs) So it turned out to be the the person of interest. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Nice. Nice. So, no, so for the de- indecent exposure case, is that when you're listening to the calls coming in, is were you suspecting that that might be if there were a case that come in given the time and 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 whatnot, or did you just normally listen to the calls that come in throughout the day? 
Sometimes, yeah, we, so the radio was always on and our laptops were equipped with our calls coming in so I could see everything that was being dispatched as well through mm-hmm. our CADs. And so, again, I could see if it said suspicious and then you can read the call notes and then I'd be able to hear what they're saying on the radio. And so that's how I was able to be like, I think it is this person because I went back on the spreadsheet and I'm like, yeah, if you look at day of week and time, and that was the other thing is that <laughs> it's such an interesting case, but <laughs> basically this individual was renting cars from other people. So there were no cars registered to this individual. And mm-hmm. so that also made it like, is it this person? Is it the same person? Mm-hmm. Until that individual was interviewed and it was like, oh yeah, no, this person confessed to renting cars. But yes, I, I had a spreadsheet. I had everything noted and based upon the area that this individual was in, the time and the type of store, as I I broke down on the spreadsheet, a coworker and I were able to determine that we thought that that was the person because we yeah. were already tracking the crime. Yeah. Yeah. It's just half the battle is just identifying if cases are related, yes. right? I think yeah. once you get to the point where cases are related, you can create a, a scenario in your head and come up with a forecast for these crimes. But because there's so much crime, different crimes and the way reports are written and how the data is coming to us analysts, it becomes mm-hmm. really difficult to just identify, are these cases related? Yes. And that's, again, I'm really thankful that I had started reading all of the cases that I, I read. I read everything. Again, I read everything. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are like, I don't have time for that. Well, I made time (laughs) because everything was important and Mm -hmm. that has helped me. And I, I mean, I feel that if I didn't have all of those things tracked, which I know can be a lot, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have known that I wouldn't have picked up on the pattern and recognized that. Yeah. No, it's the student. You were a good student. And that's what I've talked about. (laughs) Oh, well, that's what I've talked about a lot on this this show. It is a lot of reading. It is a lot of mm-hmm. research. And sometimes it's difficult if analysts are spread too thin, doing yep. too many things, wearing too many hats, it becomes difficult to do analysis because you yep. just aren't that subject matter expert that maybe is needed. But or if you're you being are... interrupted, right? If mm-hmm. I, you know you're in the middle of creating a spreadsheet and get pulled away or get interrupted for something and you come back, maybe your computer restarted. I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you where I was. And you get pulled on different projects, right? And then maybe yeah, somebody, the and then, <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, okay, no, don't worry about that indecent exposure. We're going to deal with this project <laughs> over here. So, yeah. but when I was, was an anal- a law enforcement analyst, as I look back now, I, there were several times that I wasn't necessarily a good student of crime mm-hmm. and and I thought my my product that I was producing suffered because of it right I I in, I enjoyed the the data management side of it so that's that's probably why I'm at in the I'm a developer now and not necessarily <laughs> an analyst but the that but as I look back I was like man I didn't necessarily read up I didn't I didn't go on ride alongs I didn't talk to enough detectives about mm-hmm. particular cases that I was supporting. And but from you, from your perspective and what you're describing here, you're you're right in the, the thick of everything and doing <laughs> talking, not just running 
research on databases, but you're you're talking, you're listening to the calls, you're talking to other analysts, you're running down the hall to different detectives, you're and actively being a student of the cases that you're working. Absolutely. And that that comes from passion and also mm-hmm. human behavior really just fascinates me. <laughs> but and I I also just like to get to know the people I'm working with in general. I've always been that way. And I think very early on in my career, a very well-known analyst told me, if you get assigned detectives, the first thing you need to go, you need to do is introduce yourself. You need to go talk to them. So I made it a point when I got assigned a division, I was like, all right, great. I'm going to go downstairs. We're going to start talking to these people, whether they're here or not. I'm going to be in the know. I'm going to know things. And so one of the cases I actually worked on that I was, I had briefly talked about some of the work that I had done as far as the open source intelligence side at this year's IACA conference, I was from that area in Florida that mm-hmm. the case had come from, but our the victim lived in our county. And I actually interjected myself, if that makes sense. I went downstairs <laughs> and I spoke to the detective and I was like, look, I know this area through and through. I know exactly where this individual lives. It's right down the street from somewhere where my friend used to live. I grew up here. I could tell you exactly the directions that this person is going. I mean, I just, I knew a lot about it. and. And basically, I was like, let me help you help you. (laughs) And the detective was like, yeah, have at it, right? (laughs) Help me, whatever you want to do, please. And that was amazing because that was also another really good case. But it's still it's still being the person's still being prosecuted. So I don't want to talk too much about it. But overall, that was me interjecting myself and going around to these detectives. And it was really fun towards the end of it because they knew like, oh, hey, Heather's here (laughs) because I would always sit with them and talk with them and hey here's what i'm thinking we were really great at sharing ideas together on what we're thinking and i think that that made things very successful because it is a teamwork it's not hey analyst can you just run this name for me thanks right Mm -hmm. like i could run that name for you but here are the other things that i'm also capable of and because of my education i was exposed to on being able to detect patterns or detect how i'm able to leverage open source intelligence and maybe for a while we had some cases with um, Tinder and Grinder, and everybody's on that nowadays. <laughs> I am not because, but <laughs> back in you're, the day, I understood how they work. You're worked, somebody. Right? Don't put yourself down. You're somebody. <laughs> I know how they work, and so I remember I had to explain it to one of one of the detectives I was with. I'm like, "This is how it works. You swipe on pictures. Now Tinder has no radius. You just, <laughs> hey, I'm going to Chicago for the weekend. I can actually set my status to Chicago." And mm-hmm. so, anyways, it just. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of skills that I have had in life, I think, have also transitioned over to being an analyst. So, <laughs> you know, hmm. real quick before we move on to OSINT, yeah. you mentioned the well-known analyst. Who's the well-known analyst that gave you that advice? Aaron Wickersham. <laughs> oh, okay. Aaron. Yeah, I okay. love Aaron. Yeah, I early on, I had I was connected with Aaron, and mm-hmm. I was seeking her wisdom and mentorship. So. That's one of the first things she told me. She said, get your butt downstairs and talk to everybody. And I said, okay, I'll do that. I'm very sociable. I got no problem. I am not shy most of the time, but I like to get to know people in general. So (laughs) that's the first thing I did. I I interviewed Erin. We did a Hot Ones type episode together where we, uh, I asked her questions and we ate hot wings together. So. (laughs) Well, she's way better than uh, yeah. Jennifer. Didn't Jennifer just do that? I gotta think. Her name Jennifer Lawrence. Remember Jennifer Lawrence did yeah. the wing video. 
yeah. popular meme right now. Yeah, Aaron's better than that. <laughs> yeah, well, no, yeah, she was, she crushed me. I'm sitting there sweating there, dying, barely able to ask <laughs> questions, and she's just talking as if nothing's going on. So, yeah, she, she put me to shame, that's for sure. <laughs> Not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into a little bit about OSINT then, and just to, maybe some just advice that you have for our listeners, and things that you use, or mindset, or if you have a recipe, or just how you go about using OSINT. Yeah, so I learned early on, a lot of things in Florida you can actually find on the internet. <laughs> right? Yeah, every, everything. Anything and everything you can find in Florida. <laughs> As an analyst, I thought that was amazing. As a resident, not so much, but <laughs> different story. I realized early on how important open source information was because it's you can find almost anything. Um, mm -hmm. I've had people say oh, I have this name, this guy goes by the name Kevin the Colombian. Like, we're not <laughs> going to find anything off of that. And I was like, no, 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 no. Any information is information. Luckily, I was able to find the individual. But <laughs> yeah, any anything with open source I learned early on is just something that is going to continue to progress, whether or not you feel that you have the skills. I feel confident with open source intelligence, but I wouldn't consider myself an expert. I feel that way in general about everything that I do because I always feel there is room to grow and to be better always. And so, again, the biggest thing I would recommend is not only my advice if you're trying to get in this profession, but also overall is just to network, network, network. I know a lot of us are tired of hearing that, but mm -hmm. it is 1000% true. I'm connected with a lot of individuals in this field that write books on open source intelligence or maybe give coursework in open source intelligence. And I have learned so many skills from them showing maybe an article that they wrote. I learned things like there's a really great one called What's My Name? Person I, I had met actually created it. And I was able to run usernames. You can run usernames using that one. It's great mm -hmm. because you might be able to see if they have the same username, what other accounts do they have? Yeah. That one's a great one to use. And the other one that I've definitely used in cases is called My Family Tree. Mm -hmm. And that one will show you, obviously, you have to pay for Ancestry. And I, a lot of departments won't pay for that. And that's okay because My Family Tree, you can use. It's free. It will give you information of the individuals that it thinks this the name you run is related to. Now, mm -hmm. you will have to have certain information, first name, last name, and maybe a possible date of birth or maybe the year that they were born, which you can calculate. But those are two great ones that I love using all the time to look at information or maybe to help make me make a pivot into something else. Again, staying up to date with technology, everything changes. Maybe a website that you used, let's say by the time you listen to this podcast, you try to find my family tree and it doesn't exist. Well, technology is always changing and always evolving. But if you are networked and connected with people that work in open source intelligence all the time, they may be able, they might be able to share with you, or maybe they've written an article on, hey, my family tree now is not working anymore. However, you can look at this website that's very similar. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the people that I follow or newsletters I'm signed up for, they share this information and they'll just remind you technology is ever evolving, ever changing, and it can have an impact on what we do. So that's probably <laughs> my well, my biggest advice. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I like the aspect of networking anyway, because I think mm -hmm. sometimes we get in the mindset of when you say OSINT, oh, that's just computer work, right? That's yeah. just websites. That's just 
that's that's all OSINT is, right? And mm-hmm. there's there's so much more to it, and there's so much more. Even if you know the the tools, there's still yeah. maybe there's still going to be times when you get stuck and maybe Absolutely. need a workaround. And yeah. or if you mix together with okay, only maybe OSINT only gets you so far, but you need to talk to somebody else. Uh, maybe in records, maybe in the, with a business, maybe somewhere else mm-hmm. that will help you get the rest of the way to answering your question. Absolutely. And a, a great example of that, a case I worked, I use my family tree now to look into this person to see what possible relatives they had based on what I could also find on their Facebook account. And I knew the state that this individual was born in, and I knew the systems of Florida <laughs> very well. <laughs> And I had reached out to someone that I had networked with before, and I put in a request to them, and they were able to confirm with me through their birth records, yes, this is their sibling. Yes, this is their mother. Yes, this is their father. And it was phenomenal because I, again, was able to have a starting starting point using this website on open source on the internet to just tell me the person that it thinks is possibly related to this individual, which then I went to the Facebook accounts and saw all the things. And I knew the systems in Florida since I had been using them. And I knew if I asked them, I know the kind of information that's being stored. And so they were able to confirm with me through government records. Yes, these people mm-hmm. are in fact related to this person. And so that's when I knew this is great. Networking comes in handy. <laughs> If it's, and I tell people too, it's so much easier, in my opinion, to call another analyst and either ask them a question or ask if you can put in a request with them than it is to send a blanket email to somebody, somebody's office, or to call a generic phone number. If you call a generic police department, some of the people answering the phone may not have heard of the crime analysis unit or whatever your (laughs) department calls it. Mm -hmm. They may ask, what are you talking about? (laughs) Versus if you network with other analysts, you can actually just make a direct phone call and be able to get the answer that you're looking for. And that is just amazing. I I don't think I don't think you can replace that. Yeah, I mean, and it's really becoming a lost art because we just make less telephone calls <laughs> these yes. days, right? Like there's so much being communicated <laughs> via text or and, even social social media that it's that just that making that telephone call to a person that you know from a different agency is is becoming something that <laughs> is becomes advice, right? And you would think it would be just uh, natural to well, happen, but it's now it's big advice. And, well, I'll tell you personally, if there is an unknown phone number calling me, I'm not answering it. <laughs> <laughs> But if it's my work phone, I'm always answering it. So yeah. I feel both sides of that. So yeah. I personally, I, I do like to send texts. Hey, I'm going to oh. call you in 15. Is that okay? Oh. Versus with work, I'm like, I'm just going to make a phone call. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm old man elder when it comes to that. Because I get to the point where I can only text so much. Like we've been texting and now I'm calling you because now I'm sick of typing and I, we're just going to talk. <laughs> we're going to have a conversation. And some people do not like the fact that... If we're texting, we should remain texting in the whole conversation and not switch the phone. Well, not only that, but if you send a request via email, (laughs) there are certain PII you can't put in an email, right? But it's also so much easier to describe the situation of what's Mm -hmm. happening instead of trying to put that into an email. And it loses the context. 
either it's a normal request or it's let me tell you about this case okay yeah. if the person's also invested they're going to do their best to help you yeah so. good good point see also here on your resume here you took some training with the northeast counter training center the dark webs investigation and open source intelligence so how do you rate those classes amazing Amazing. The NCTC, the Northeast Counter Drug Training Center, those courses were free when I took them not too long ago. Actually, it was this year. Yeah, I took them and those were free. The traveling there, of course, and staying the night in those cities mm -hmm. was not free. My department paid for it. But in general, the courses were free. They were excellent. Actually, during the dark web investigations course, our instructor went on to the dark web to actually give us real exposure, if you will, because what department's going to let their analyst <laughs> use an onion router to get on the dark web. But it was awesome. And the open source intelligence course, I learned so many different websites and just little tricks that I didn't know about. I didn't know outside of the networking and following and reading different articles, like I was able to cover it. I used it in one of my cases that I talked about when I spoke at ICA. There is a certain way that you can inspect a the page source or an image mm -hmm. that will give you more information. And that is probably one of the best tricks I had ever learned in that course I took with them because it gives you, it gives you everything, right? And those are little things that I didn't know. So if I would recommend everyone look at NCTC, see if they have anything, see if your agency will send you to a course with them. They have both been amazing. I would continue to take classes with them. Yeah, we'll put the links in the show notes for the for for the center just in case the listener wants more information on those. Yeah. All right, Heather, you've since left Chesterfield County and mm -hmm. 2024 is going to be you're going to go be in job search mode so i'm just <laughs> it's not a question that i've ever actually asked uh one of my guests is just uh, what is your strategy of uh finding an analyst job yeah overall i i will tell other analysts if you're looking out there be patient be patient mm -hmm. the very first time i ever applied to an analyst job i had a spreadsheet and i had applied to <laughs> over 35 different positions and only one of them called me back yeah. So don't lose hope. <laughs> it's 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 there. Keep pushing forward. Keep doing these things, looking for volunteer opportunities to help get yourself into the field, if you will. Mm -hmm. I had volunteered in the past with things like the National Child Protection Task Force to kind of get my foot in the door. That's another great way to learn about open source intelligence. There are some very phenomenal, I mean, wow, that's OSINT and networking at the same time. Mm. A great organization. It, it really, any again, just any exposure you can get in the meantime or downtime, if you will, take the classes, buy the books, find things that interest you or you might want to be a part of. And maybe if you're in a field that does not apply to analysis, that's okay. Don't sell yourself short. Biggest thing I've learned overall, because I've had different careers before this, the biggest thing I can tell people overall is that some of the skills you have learned at other jobs that you've had do transfer over. They do transfer over. If you have had to do any type of public speaking, that transfer over. Mm -hmm. If you've ever had to create a product or written an article or Maybe you've had to study the pattern of, I don't know, maybe you were a zookeeper and you had to study the patterns of the way the animals eat or interact with each other. That is still analysis. It's a different type of analysis, right? Mm -hmm. um, but believe in yourself. <laughs> 
well, make sure I, you understand the skills you have do actually transfer over. It may not be the same title that you've had, but it counts. Mm -hmm. It counts. Yeah. Well, I, I think of records management systems, for instance. There's different uh, tools that you learned while you're at a, a job. How well did you learn the new software? Were you innovative? What were some problems? What was your workaround? That type of experience is valuable, right? So Absolutely. you might, the records management, you might only want know one records management system, but how well did you use that one system? And how well are you at taking on new tools and yes. making them work for you? Well, and that, that brings me to a good point. I had taught myself how to build a website a few years ago. I mm -hmm. had never, I didn't know how to do that. <laughs> I was volunteering for a different organization <laughs> and I was asked, can you help us build a website? And I thought, good golly, I don't know guys, but I didn't <laughs> say no. And I, through loss of tears, I was able to learn how to build a website. And yeah. when that helped me because I, we were asked, does anybody know how to create a website for our unit internally? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, I do. I would happily create a website for our, our unit for internal purposes. And I was able to do that, right? That's not mm -hmm. something that, oh, hey, it's on a crime analyst job posting. You need to know how to build a website, right? No, that mm -hmm. was just something that, again, transferable, really does nothing to do with the position. But it was mm -hmm. something that I had learned a while ago that I was able to contribute to my team. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, when it comes to, I guess, job searching, there are a few different things I look at. I, I like to do a lot of research on a potential agency I'm looking at. I'm looking at how many personnel do they have? How many analysts do they have? What kind of analysts do they have? What do their typical job duties look like? What kind of crime does this area have? So I've noticed a lot in Virginia, some counties do a really great job at putting a lot of the information very public forward, and they will actually have calls for service maps or crime maps that are publicly available on their county websites for their citizens. And I thought that was amazing. I had never heard of that before. Mm -hmm. But that is also a great tool to leverage to look at the types of crimes that are occurring in the area. If you're looking at a department that has more rural or agriculture crimes, we will. What does that look like? Is that something you'd be interested in? Maybe it's labor trafficking that's being involved. Again, I just do a lot of research. <laughs> <laughs> I look into everything. Actually, before I got hired at Chesterfield, I I found out it's a wonderful county overall, and they had a podcast. On the podcast, they had interviewed certain people from around the county, mm -hmm. the growth of the county. They had interviewed people that worked in the police department. I was listening to these podcasts to kind of get a feel for the direction of the department in the county overall. And I thought that was wonderful, along with, again, those public information of the different crimes that are occurring in the area. So mostly just doing a lot of research. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, as you look at your particular situation, you look at your resume, is there something that you wish you had you would have established on your resume at this point? I wish I was a certified crime intelligence analyst. Mm. That is probably something that I've been thinking of, not sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think it'd be great to have. My mm -hmm. Well, I shouldn't say my only concern, but I wonder if other people who are not in this field understand the value of that. 
do they understand what that means and that it is an extremely difficult exam. It takes a lot of time and talent to reach that level. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder and have concerns that maybe people don't understand how hard it is to get that. Right. Um, yeah. 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 That would and definitely I, be one of the things though, that I, I would love to have on my resume one day. Yeah. And it's interesting from what I've heard from folks, it's, it can be the certification may not be as valuable in the job search endeavor, mm -hmm. but when they're going to testify in court, that yeah. certification holds more weight in the courtroom. Yeah, that's which makes sense, right? Because yeah. if you're looking for a subject matter expert on something mm -hmm. that they did, that is able to back them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, all right, let's take some calls. I right, let's finish up here with some fun. We're gonna. Take your wild office stories, shit you here in the office. We have some callers on the line. And first up is Jonathan. Jonathan, what's some shit you heard in the office? When I was assisting with a background investigation, a police chief who is no longer a police chief saying that uh, it was okay to uh, have an affair with someone on the clock as long as you don't get caught because everybody does it. <laughs> Oh, man. I like that he mentioned that he's no longer a police chief. <laughs> I feel like that's important. <laughs> also, bravo to that person for being extremely honest. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Uh, yeah. Just a total old way of thinking, right? And so, yeah. especially when you're also in law enforcement, you've made it all the way up to chief. I mean, that's I... just... <laughs> Man. Really, everyone's been okay with it. I mean, <laughs> as long as you don't get caught. Oh man, yeah. that is uh, that is something. Oh, all right, next on the line is Chris. Chris, what's some shit you heard in the office? Hey, Jason, I was witness to a story told over and over again about a detective when he was a young patrol officer who didn't like to wear underwear and got in a foot chase and ripped the back of his pants but still had to keep running and apprehend the suspect even though he had a huge rip in the back of his pants and no underwear i heard about that regularly see, that's that's one of those things you see on like tv shows and then he gets the nickname commando but again kudos <laughs> to him for not letting them stop him from catching the guy right i also feel like this was probably in florida <laughs> <laughs> i don't yeah i don't know it's hot it's hot in a lot of places in the south right yeah. i mean I, with the florida thing i just think everybody should have the sunshine laws of florida and then you would know that florida is not that different from everybody else it's not <laughs> all right next on the line is carrie put some shit just here in the office all right you guys i kid you not the other day, one of our detectives, we'll call him Byron, decided that he was going to move all his cubicle stuff into open cubicle because he wanted to be surrounded with more positive reinforcement from some of the other detectives. So his partner, we'll call him Devin, definitely didn't like this and was very upset by the move. So while Byron was out with COVID last week, Devin decided to go and move all of Byron's stuff back to his cubicle down to precise placements of post-it notes on the wall and then not tell Byron that he had moved. So morning of, I was tasked with having to put cameras up to be able to record Byron's reaction to seeing his cubicle moved. 
and we watched cameras. We saw Byron come in and sure enough, he walked right past and said, what the bleep? And just started laughing and couldn't believe that all of his stuff was back. And they all bet that Byron was going to be too lazy to move uh, his desk back. And sure enough, Byron's back in our cubicle row. So like I said, you can't believe the stuff that goes on in these offices. Somebody has too much time on their hand. That's, uh, that's probably my first reaction. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. Yeah, but it is, I don't know, those kind of shenanigans do uh, happen. At, I, I think they happen at any office, but maybe not that particular story, maybe not to, the, to that degree, but the shenanigans that go on in a, in a particular office is impressive. So it's not just law enforcement, but in this particular case, it's it's kudos to that guy for attention to detail. Oh, yeah. All right. Next on the line is Brianne. Brianne, what's some shit you heard in the office? So I... My police department, our plumbing is not the greatest. And so one time a bunch of us were in a meeting and we came outside and the whole bathroom flooded with sewage. So it was all in the hallway, down the hall, in all the bathrooms. It was coming up from the floor. And then we finally learned what clogged the drains. And it was a pop can and a wool glove. So I don't know what people are flushing the toilet at the police department, but they're screwing us all over who work inside of it. What do you think of that one? I don't know how a toilet would even accept it. Like, oh, hey, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and float down. Like, I, but also, like, the glove made, I could see if you accidentally dropped something. I've definitely done that before. Um, mm-hmm. I'm impressed that it took it. <laughs> all right. Last on, last on the line is Jessica. Jessica, what's some shit you heard in the office? I was... Uh, handed over a report to someone and they said well there's no way this is right we don't fill out our reports right so how would your data be right that's awesome (laughs) i'm also not surprised that someone (laughs) has said that (laughs) yeah such a very true and snarky statement all in the same breath so um so that's shit you hear in the office. If you have a wild office story for us that you would like to share, reach out to us at leapodcasts at gmail.com. All right. Well, our last segment to the show is words to the world. This is where you can promote any idea that you wish. Heather, what are your words to the world? Staying positive. I know a lot of people may hear that and roll their eyes, but this is an art or a practice, I would say, that does take a while to develop. But I promise everyone, be patient with yourselves. Learn how to stay positive in every situation. Your feelings are validated. doesn't mean you have to always be positive. But I strive to try to always stay positive. And and I believe it helps us grow overall as individuals. If I'm having a rough day, I try to think of maybe the situation I was just exposed to is not a good one or I didn't have a good feeling from it. I tried to think of different ways to flip the situation. How can I make this better? How can I, what can I get away from this? What can I get out of the situation? And so for me, I try to take the situation and grow it. How can I grow from this experience? Yes, I felt negative about it. However, now I've had exposure to this situation. So if I encounter it again, I know how to react or maybe I find a solution to it and I know what to experience from that. And so I would just say, stay positive. I think it will help you overall in how you view life overall and also with your mental health. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you. You've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I do appreciate you being on the show, Heather. Thank you so much. And good luck in 2024 with the job search. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.